Hello, it's Paul Scott here with part two of my weekend podcast on Saturday, 13th of May 2023. So who am I to comment on macro and uh, uh, market? Uh, matters then. Am I an economics expert? No. I'd say I've got a middling knowledge of economics. I've always been fascinated by it since I started studying economics at school at the age of 14. So I've got O-level and A-level under my belt. And then it was a significant part of my degree as well. And then I did three years chartered accountancy training. Um, Didn't pass my finals exams, though. Typical me, have to do things uh, an awkward way. And then I've spent, obviously, the whole of my career in business. So I'd say overall, that's given me a reasonable overall uh, uh, view of economics generally and how the economy and how companies work and so on. And also, I think there's no substitute for experience. You know, you don't need formal training in economics. I know a lot of people in their sort of 50s, 60s and over who have just observed uh, the various cycles and, you know, have a common sense there are a lot of people with no economics training who have a great overview and common sense view of things. I think I'm I'm 54, so I'm getting there in terms of experience, but certainly not the most experienced. And I've got no time at all for economic theory because most of it is not worth the paper it's written on. So anyway, um, so that's me. Um, and on to my weekly comments on macro and markets. So it's I still note that most company trading updates are still coming through in line with expectations. And in many cases, of course, broker forecasts, which are the expectations, have been gradually lowered. So not many profit warnings. The only two I think I can recall from this week were both building product products companies, uh, Marshalls and Eurocell, which I covered in the first podcast. So we can look at very specific sectors now on a sector by sector basis. I think most of the bad news is now in share prices and in broker forecasts. For example, house builders, another really important sector, have all had drastically reduced forecasts. And they're generally now saying they're doing they're doing okay. They're doing in line with and they may even recover. So I reckon most of the bad news is is in the prices already. But Obviously, we're going to get more profit warnings, but we're not getting that many. So, uh, but who knows what will happen in future. Now, something else, uh, these are all just random points. So then my next point is that you've got plenty of good, solid companies on the stock market where the share prices go, go nowhere, but they're paying over the long term, but they're paying four and five percent yields. Now, those were really nice, solid value investments throughout the zero interest rate period, but it, it, it occurs to me that really it's not that good now, is it? Again, four to five percent you can get in cash. So I think really that puts a question mark over the valuation of some solid value shares. You know, maybe they're maybe they're cheap for a reason. Um, and of course, the long t- the 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 growth company shares, where, which some people value on a discounted cash flow method, if you're now using a discount factor of eight, nine, ten percent then future profits, when these things are expected to to kick into profitability, are now worth maybe only half what they would have been worth in a zero interest rate environment. So I'm still very sceptical on valuations for growth companies. I think uh, if these higher interest rates stick, that is, again, a big unknown, we could well be into a shuddering screech into a U-turn next year, maybe, if they kill off the economies and end up having to cut interest rate. So look, we just don't know what's going to happen, do we? Now, 
Looking at inflation next, I see in the US it's dropped right down to 4.9%. Well, that means you're not, you're not going to have to have any, any further interest rate rises, really, are you? I forget what the base rate is in America. Is it 5% now? It's thereabouts, not far off if it is. So we're probably at the end of the interest rate rises, aren't we? Uh, moving on to the UK, obviously, we had another interest rate rise of a quarter percent. I'm trying to find it on my list here. Uh which uh, I think was on Thursday. That was as expected. So what's that? Oh, I can never find my notes when I need them. I'll come back to that because I've lost my, my point. So, um, yeah, the building materials, we've covered that. So the bricks manufacturers and distributors are saying everything's fine. Other building products like Marshalls and Euracell are saying demand is down. And we have got lower housing starts. So I think the building product sector looks very interesting because it's very cheap. And I think I'm going to start... Uh, picking up one or two opening size positions in that sector. Now, lower ad revenues. We had news from ITV that said that ad revenues in Q1 were down 10%, which was as expected. But they said uh, Q2, they expect it to actually get slightly worse. Ad revenues down 12%. So, again, that's another sign of business confidence not being great, isn't it? And we saw something we've heard Reach saying similar things, the newspaper group. Now, the pub sector is an interesting sector, I think, to look at at the moment. We've now had several pubs, Green King, which is uh, not listed, but J.D. Weatherspoon reported this week, uh, improved strong like-for-likes. I haven't written it down, but I think it was around 12% like-for-like sales growth, a lot of which is obviously down to price increases, maybe all of it, I don't know. But uh, they've also indicated better footfall now in cities as more and more people are going back into the office, either voluntarily or being forced to. Uh, I see Labour, a Labour MP was talking about making work from home um, uh, a legal right. I mean, what a stupid idea. Anyway, um, <clears throat> so pubs. Yeah, I think very interesting sector. Now, JD Weatherspoon shares have doubled from the lows in October. So I think that's up with events now. But a lot of the smaller bars groups, I think, are much more interesting. But the shares are totally bombed out. No liquidity in them whatsoever. And valuation's really cheap. When you think of the operational gearing, for the 75% gross margins in this sector, it doesn't take a lot of top line growth to transform the bottom line. So, uh, as you probably know, if you're a regular, two of my largest positions in my personal portfolio, actually my second and third largest positions, are XP Factory, XPF, and Revolution Bars, RBG. Um, and both of those have perked up a bit this week. So, I think they, uh, Revolution Bars is the riskier of the two because of its bank debt, but... I've got high hopes for them, actually. If I get lucky and if it follows stronger demand follows through into them, which I think it probably will do from April onwards because of the 10% rise in minimum wage, and they both have low, uh, um, younger customer bases, then those could be quite interesting, I hope. So fingers crossed on those. But I think that those trades are beginning to move in my favour. So quietly nervous but also quite excited about uh, XP Factory and Revolution Bars. We'll see what happens. Um, oh, now I've, I've noticed here, look, we're in, a, we're in a really horrible bear market for small caps still. Uh, you don't see it so much in the main indices, but I looked today at the AIM All Share Index and, I mean, it peaked at 1,230. It's now 826. So that is down a third. That's from the peak in uh, late 2021 to now. So that's a nasty bear market, down by a third over what is now, what, over 18 months, 19, 20 months. 
which is kind of on a par with where we were in 2001 and 2002. That was probably the nastiest bear market I've lived through. Well, 2008 was hideous, of course, and 2007 was very bad for small caps as well. So we're, we're right down there in one of the three worst bear markets of my adult life right now. Um, small caps are showing little signs of coming off the bottom. If you also look at the AIM, is this the AIM 100 index? Yeah, that's the largest AIM companies. That's down even more. That peaked at 6568 in September 21. It's now 3897. That's down 40%. Now that's the 100 largest AIM shares, remember. Um, most of the shares I cover in the small cap value reports are AIM listed or fully listed small caps. And that index, SMXX, which excludes uh, investment trusts, that peaked at 6551, also in September 21, and it's now 5089. That's down 22%. So if you take a blended, say a blended average of the AIM 100 and the SMXX index, you're looking at about, again, down about a third, down um, 30, what would that work out at 30, down 31% roughly. So, you know, if you specialise in small caps and you're down about 30%, 33% from your all-time high, that's in line with the uh, with 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 the market. So don't beat yourself up too much over it. And good companies and bad companies all go down in bear markets. The falls tend to be indiscriminate. It's in the bull market that follows where the decent companies pull away. So that's when your outperformance comes. Um, so, yeah, uh, I know one of the readers put in a, a really unpleasant comment, actually, saying that uh, they thought my stock picking was lousy because I was down about a third. Well, the market's down about a third. So he said it was down 17 percent, which is just BS. Uh, as I've just demonstrated with the figures, it's down about a third from the peak. And our, our, our green rated ideas, he claimed he didn't provide any actual evidence. He just claimed he'd worked it out that they were down by a third. Well, I'd want to see the numbers before locking onto that. And I haven't got the time to work out the numbers. But, you know, he says, oh, there should be a disclaimer on the stock report saying you underperform the market. Well, A, we don't underperform the market. And B, do we really want yet another disclaimer? We can put one in if you like, but nobody reads them anyway. And what I would say is, for this year, starting at the beginning of 2023, I decided I'd put up my top 20, top 20 uh, value GARP share picks for the year. And that's been publicly available since then. It's on a spreadsheet that I frequently link to. And that's actually up. A portfolio of 20 shares is up 10% year to date. And that's in a market that is flat to slightly down for small caps. So my current year, um, 2023 watch list stock picks, has significantly outperformed the market. And that data is published. It's out there. So I think you've already actually got what you asked for. But am I going to put up a thing saying that my stocks underperform the market? No, I'm not, because they don't. So, yeah, people get tetchy and attack other people during bear markets. I'm used to it. I've got broad shoulders. Uh, you know, people have been trolling me for 25 years on the Internet. So, you know, I don't get particularly upset when somebody uh, decides decide to put something up attacking me. It's par for the course. It means they're doing badly and they're lashing out at other people trying to blame someone else for their problems. Uh, you know, we cover over 500 shares, and this guy picked out four that I'd been enthusiastic about previously, which have gone wrong. Four out of over 500. 
Well, that's not representative at all, is it? And yes, some of our stock picks go wrong. Of course they do, because what we all we ever do is we look at the circumstances on a particular day based on the facts and figures on that day. And you can go into all the reports and we'll give the explanation for why we feel positive or negative about a, a share on that day. But literally from the next day onwards, the facts begin to change. And over, say, a six, 12 or 18 month period, huge amount of change uh, happens at many, many companies in many sectors. Business models are uh, uh, a quickening their, it seems to me, their pace of decline or uh, ascent, because so much now is um, online. You know, you, you business models change and get undermined much more quickly than they did in the past. Therefore, facts and figures change on a continuous basis. We're not clairvoyant. We can't predict how the economy will be doing in eighteen months' time. What new competition will have emerged to, excuse me, to chip away at certain businesses and so on. So please don't look to me, Graham, or anyone else as being able to provide you with, uh, you know, a list of companies that are going to perform, shares that are going to perform brilliantly. Uh, we don't know. Nobody knows. A lot of it as well as based on market sentiment. So it is annoying when people just seem, seem to think that uh, they can attack us if shares that we've previously been positive about have gone wrong. Because if you look at the updates, you'll see that we say, ah, well, this is going wrong, this has changed, blah, blah, blah. You know, and we often change our stance on companies as the facts change. But we can only ever reflect what the facts are. And we have to take the broker forecasts on that day. And then if the brokers subsequently change them or mark them or they're proven completely wrong, you know, we can't, don't expect us to predict that it, because we're not clairvoyant. We haven't got uh, time-travelling space machines. So I think please keep your expectations grounded on what our reports can actually do. We go through the numbers, we flag up the pros and cons, but we don't know what the share prices are going to do. And ultimately, you've got to pick what shares you want in your portfolio. It's your money. Don't think you can subcontract that out to us. We're not telling you what to invest in. We're just giving... Uh, a brief review of between five and ten companies each day. So I hope I hope that clarifies it because we've always got new people coming in, and you know I'm not there to be abused or uh, uh, have people blame me for their own failings. And obviously we always get the one or two trolls who are still on the site who regular as clockwork pop up and sort of twist the knife a bit and push it in a bit deeper when anyone criticizes us. You're so boring and predictable, we totally ignore you. And that's why I never reply to those posts. Ah, oh, that felt good to get that off my chest. <laughs> now, BlackRock say the UK economy is overheating due to a labour shortage. Well, labour shock. Well, I, I had to check that it wasn't April Fool's Day when I read that. Because last time I looked, the UK economy is bumping along around uh, right on the cusp of going into recession. So... UK economy overheating? Really, BlackRock? Sounds a bit of a strange theory to me, but they're very clever people, so maybe they know something I don't. Oh, here we are. UK interest rates raised again Thursday to 4.5%, up a quarter of a percent as expected. Uh, I've got some more on inflation. Where is it? Um, oh, yes. Um, oh, I was having a look at the ONS website this morning. It's always good 
background reading for quite accessible reports on economics and so on. Now, it said the latest numbers are the GDP growth in Q1 in the UK was only 0.1%. So, you know, if it's plus 0.1% or minus 0.1%, really doesn't matter. But of course, you know, you would get headlines, wouldn't you? UK plunges into recession if it was minus 0.1%. But it doesn't matter if it's a technical recession or not. All that, which it isn't at the moment. But we're bumping along at zero, aren't we, in terms of GDP growth? Um, now, unemployment in the UK is strikingly low at 3.8%. There's a very good website you can look at called... Oh, is it Market Economics? Hang on, sorry, the window's gone a bit small. Bear with, bear with. Yeah, it's... Uh, oh, yes, here we are. It's tradingeconomics.com. Have a look at that website, tradingeconomics, or one word, dot com, because it's really useful. You've got various tabs under the markets heading. I've just been looking at that, you know, and a lot of commodity prices are really dropping now, um, which is going to be very good news for inflation uh, after a, um, a time lag where hedges and forward purchases and so on uh, need to wash through. Um, and a lot of things, including food, energy prices are way down year to date. Uh, heating oil, no, coal, for example, down 58%. UK gas is down 50% versus a year ago. Um, natural gas in the US is down 70%. Crude oil down 34%. You know, a lot of these, not, not just energy, but other commodities are really have really dropped a hell of a lot. That should be very good for inflation with a time lag copper down 10 percent year to date no 11 percent year to date steel down 29 percent year to date lithium down to 56 percent year to date wheat down 46 percent year on year lumber down 63 percent palm oil down 43 percent even cheese my favorite is down 28 percent um this is all going to feed through orange juice is up 45 percent so we'll have to knock the tropicana on the head uh so this is interesting, and this is all going to feed through into, into shop prices at some stage. And there was an interesting um, section from the Bank of England about that this week. The latest indications from them are that we are going to avoid, avoid a recession. Now, if you bear in mind, six months ago, Andrew Bailey, the head of the BOE, was saying we were going into the longest recession, um, uh, what was it? We're entering the longest recession on record of over for two years, he said, six months ago. It's pathetic, isn't it? Honestly, you know, nobody can forecast. The Bank of England uh, governor regularly makes a complete tit of himself, I think, uh, with these ridiculous forecasts. Well, anyway, then, then his latest view is um, modest to positive, modestly positive, I think, or modest to positive growth in the economy not uh, the longest recession on record. So if the Bank of England can change its stance that way in six months, I think we're entitled to change our mind from time to time as well. But the latest uh, Bank of England uh, forecasts on inflation, which are relatively near term, so they probably can't mess those up too much. They're now saying that inflation will fall to about 5% by the end of this year. Their previous forecast was 4%. So the headline there is that the Bank of England does think that inflation is going to be a bit stickier uh, than previously thought. Uh, but 5%, to my mind, is well out of sort of crisis territory. It's still too high, but it's 
it's it's not a crisis with inflation at five percent. Uh, our food prices stubbornly high was another thing that came out of this Bank of England report. Apparently they've hauled in the supermarkets and various other people to have a chat about this, who are now saying um, that um, uh, grocery prices, this is what the supermarkets told the Bank of England apparently, grocery prices are going to start coming down quite rapidly, that there's a three to nine month lag between the, the commodity prices coming down and the supermarket prices come down, coming down. So we can, thankfully, start to look forward to falling f food prices later this year. So that is very good news because that's going to put a lot of extra disposable income back into consumer pockets. And if that goes hand in hand with lower energy bills as well, which, I mean, one of the reasons UK inflation is staying stubbornly high is I think the way our energy bills uh, you know, are, st are still too high. The wholesale drops haven't fed through to our bills yet, but they will do, of course. Um, the other thing on inflation, one of our readers pointed this out, but I've actually, he was, I think it was R.D. Howarth, who posts great, fantastic stuff in the Stockopedia comment sections to the Small Cap Value Reports. Thank you very much to those, R.D. Um, he flagged up something with regard to US inflation, which I've flagged up here a week or two with UK inflation, so we're looking at different data sets, which is that the the really big inflation rises are going to annualise and drop out of the figures quite soon. So I looked again at the um, CPIH, uh, which includes the cost of owner-occupied housing. I don't know why that's prioritised on the on the front sheet of the of the ONS website but it is and anyway um that's saying core cpih which excludes energy and food and drink um that is far up 5.7 percent currently uk inflation so core inflation seems to be around five six percent probably dropping uh, lower later this year which isn't too bad actually um now did i mention unemployment oh uk unemployment this again is from the ons uh, front page is 3.8 percent which is very low i've just compared that with other countries that's well below the eurozone average of 6.5 percent and um, only the netherlands is better than us in europe and it's noteworthy that france is quite high almost double the uk no exactly double the uk unemployment rate at 7.6 percent and spain is very high unemployment at 13 percent now there can be differences between how countries record um the unemployment rate the uk rules are quite strict i think you've got to be actively seeking a job it's not just people who are there are a lot more people who are economically inactive but are not seeking work so i don't know how comparable it is but generally speaking certainly on unemployment the uk seems to be faring uh, faring well we don't have an unemployment problem with we have full employment basically okay that's what i gleaned from looking this morning at the ons um what else have we got here? Oh, yeah, just on mortgage rates. Now, this is a bit of a ticking time bomb, isn't it? Because, obviously, um, mortgage rates have gone up a fair bit. Not that much, though, actually, fixed rates, if you've got a reasonable-sized deposit. But 85% of mortgages are currently fixed rate. So there's a ticking time bomb with this. As people have to start remortgaging over the next year or two, these higher interest rates from the Bank of England um, could do increasing amounts of damage and the risk of standing like a stuck record i think the very aggressive very fast and i think excessive interest rate rises 
are going to cause a lot of damage. And I think it's totally the wrong policy. Um, and the, the, the effect of higher interest rates seem to not really take hold for 12 to 18 months, apparently, uh, after looking at what some economists have said. So they've set the wheels in motion now for quite a bit of economic turmoil, I would su suggest, maybe in 2024, maybe 2025. So hopefully it won't be long before they're actually cutting those interest rates. But the price we're going to have to pay is maybe um, maybe a recession in 24 or 25. I don't know. We'll have to see. Uh, let's just pause this while I collect my thoughts. Bear with me. Oh, that was it. it was, sorry, just going back to UK inflation. I've looked through the numbers on a month. There's a monthly table of inflation on the ONS website. This I've referred back to before. And if you look at it, it's very striking how the, in, the, the, the big increase in inflation happened in 2022. And there was a particularly, particularly large increase in inflation in April and in October 22. Now, of course, we're going to annualise those numbers, the April number anyway. So you should see... If my theory on this is right, you should see a sharp drop in UK inflation when the April 23 numbers come out, because the high comparative for April 22 will drop out the numbers. And you should see so a step down inflation of, I think, one, one and a half percent is entirely possible in April. Um, we'll soon find out. And then a similar effect should happen from October as well. And this ties in with the Bank of England saying inflation should end the year at about 5%, where you're probably not going to have people going on strike quite so much, are you? You know, if the employers offer them 5% or 4%, that's probably going to be enough to avoid strikes, I would suggest. OK, so that is inflation. The outlook's improving. Um, um, it'll just take, a, you know, seven, eight months for us to get to be seeing inflation within the sort of normal boundaries, not down to the 2.5% target, was it 2% target, but near enough, I would suggest. Talking about people's despondency, I'm seeing a lot of complete despondency amongst small cap investors. Unsurprisingly, I mean, I've been through quite a few bear markets, so I know the, the drill, sorry, so I know the drill. And, um, uh, yeah, you know, it, it doesn't make it any easier, though, or any less... Uh, pleasant it's less unpleasant it's bear markets are just horrible but what i do is i take take a step back and i say we are part owners of businesses that's what owning shares means now so why are we constantly checking to see what somebody else is prepared to pay for our shares does it matter you know surely the fundamentals matter if i'm in a company that is trading well i want to stay in that company uh you know, somebody wants to, I've got Sasandos shares now again, I'm pleased to say. I think I paid about 26 pence for them. So at the moment, someone else is only prepared to pay about 24 pence for them. Well, I'm not interested. I don't want to sell anyway. So it doesn't matter to me what, what the price is. Do I look at the price every day? Yes. Should I look at the price every day? No. I should just forget about the price and just read the trading updates um, when they come through. But it's easier said than done, isn't it? So I think, you know, if, if you're, if, what, what I do for share price I'm in drops a lot, I just revisit the fundamentals. I don't assume that the people selling know what they're doing, because very often they don't. Remember, you know, the vast bulk of the shareholder register is doing nothing. Uh, it's just there's so such thin liquidity in small caps right now. It only takes a few Muppets to just, or people who's, uh, you know, by Muppets, I mean people who know really nothing about the business. 
And they're not informed or intelligent sellers. They're often maybe just selling on a stop loss. And I, you know, I get the logic for stop losses, so I'm not slugging off stop losses. Uh, it, it, it can make sense to use them, um, you know, and uh, you'll get lots of little losses rather than the odd big loss. <laughs> but, you know, I don't personally use stop losses on individual companies because I think it's a, it's a, it's, it's a, you know, it's a replacement for actually doing your research. But your research can sometimes be wrong as well. So, uh, so yeah, you know, the, 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 these very thin markets at the moment, often with very little shares traded, you know, a, a trade of five grand can knock a share price down by 5%. Does that mean the company's gone fundamentally wrong? No, of course it doesn't. Um, and you're often finding as well that those prices, once some demand returns to the market, there's no sellers left and the prices can really go up a lot and quite rapidly. And people sitting on the sidelines with cash thinking, oh, I'll time my entry point to go in when it bottoms out. They can't buy them. I know I know a couple of investors who are trying to build positions in some really bombed out microcaps. They can't get any. There's none. There's none left. And the only alternative they've got is to bid the price up. And the price can go up quite quickly, I think, when recoveries happen. So don't get too despondent about the uh, market prices of shares you hold, providing you've, uh, you know, done your research properly and you know that the company's finances are fundamentally sound. Then you can just wait, wait for the price to go back up. And some of these things uh, in early stage bull markets, some of these things shoot up so quickly it takes your breath away. So um, we've got that to look, look forward to. It's going to happen. The only question is when. And I'm trying to uh, give myself a lecture here as much as anything, <laughs> because I'm only human. We're all human. We all get despondent when our portfolios drop. Um, the important thing is not to let that cloud your judgment, I think, and start making stupid decisions uh, based on, on, on fear and uh, and and panic even you know i think it's just a time to redouble your efforts do all the research again from scratch just make sure you know that company inside out and maybe maybe get rid of the ones that we're least comfortable with and put some more money in the ones that we think of the often the best shares are already in your portfolio i find um Although it's good to diversify as well. I think Stockopedia reckoned that about 15 shares is the optimum level to diversify. So that one mistake doesn't hit you too hard, but you make good money on the ones that do work. And I think that that feels in, intrinsically about right to me. I've got about 13 or 14 positions at the moment. I'm trying not to buy too many new things but I'm just finding good stuff every day. Now I was at a dinner party with some very nice people this Thursday evening and the, I was going to say young lad, but he's probably mid-30s there, I was sitting opposite, asked me what I thought about Bitcoin. So I told him all, all the standard arguments that it's, you know, it's worth nothing, has no asset backing, no intrinsic value whatsoever. Ah, but nor does gold, nor, nor do fiat currencies, was his reply. I said gold does has in, have intrinsic value. People like gold jewellery, and it's used in industrial processes as well. And, you know, since the beginning, beginning, beginning of time, it's been a generally accepted um uh you know store of value so i think gold does have intrinsic value and fiat currencies have the backing the tax raising powers of governments behind them so whilst i accept yes they don't you, you they don't have uh, they don't have intrinsic value as such you are compelled to use them bitcoin has neither of those things and then i talked him through how you know if you read up on financial manias you'll find that the same factors apply every single time going back centuries 
that the, the financial bubbles are always based on something new, something innovative, uh, where people who, who challenge the valuation are, are thought of as uh, old fashioned and, um, you know, that they haven't researched it properly. Uh, all, all these sorts of factors come into play that it that it that it that, that it filters down to people right at the bottom of the heap economically, which is like you know the famous story, wasn't it, about Henry Ford when the shoe shine boy started giving him share tips in 1929. He ordered his broker to sell all his shares, supposedly, or something like that. And and with Bitcoin, you know, it's not generally financial experts who are who are anywhere near this Bitcoin. Uh, so-called crypto craze it's 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 you know everyday people ordinary speculators like this chap i was uh, talking to over dinner i concluded by saying it was a perfectly friendly discussion but i concluded by saying to him just realize that you are involved in probably the business the biggest financial speculation the world has ever seen that it's only a matter of time before this crashes and probably becomes worthless or novelty value only um but on the upside, the Bitcoin bubble has reflated several times. So it's gone on longer than I expected. So maybe we can't write it off. Maybe it's something that will just come and go in waves until eventually interest in it wanes. But uh, the only purpose to, for Bitcoin is as a speculative instrument. People don't need it to transact and they're not buying it because they want to uh, transact or, or uh, unless you know criminals use it apparently but i believe even they're going to stop using it because it's dawned on them that actually all these trades are traceable <laughs> so anyway but anyway he made said something interesting this chap he said to me don't you think he listened politely to everything i said and then he said well don't you think your thinking is a bit sort of 19th century and I suppressed a laugh and I, I thought to myself, I think you mean 20th century, but I didn't say that. But anyway, maybe you did mean 19th century. And I said, well, quite possibly. But I said, you know, property is an asset you can get a yield from and it goes up in value in the long term. You know, gold is, is a pretty good store of value uh, and is, is transportable and all the rest of it has been used for thousands of years uh, as a store of value. You know, and shares and bonds are a store of value and generate a yield. You know, you just, those are investments. Bitcoin is not an investment. It's a speculative bubble. But it was an interesting discussion and a bit of an eye opener to me that, you know, the younger generation just see things differently. And that's why they lap up this idea of Bitcoin. But it's all going to end in tears. The only question is when. Anyway, I think that is pretty much it. Oh, update on my business bank account last week. I, I told the rather long and boring story of how Starling uh, turned out to be an absolute uh, dead duck. Uh, in the, I went through all the process of opening a, a business account for a startup company I've created. And they uh, just sent me an email the next day saying, no, we can't open an account for you. And we can't tell you why. Absolute load of rubbish. Well, anyway, Revolut. I pursued opening a business account with Revolut. And I have to say, it's been the total opposite it couldn't have been a better experience um i started doing an application through the app it was all very very good you know you submit all the documents by taking a picture of your driver license on your phone and just pressing a button and it goes through i think starling was similar in terms of the application process anyway rather than giving me a computer says no type of answer as starling did revolut sent me a very nice email uh, which came through from barney barney price who said, uh, let's do a video call, Paul, and you can share your screen and I'll talk you through exactly how uh, to finish off the account opening process. 
well, bless my soul, I was absolutely amazed by that. Anyway, we I spent about twenty to thirty minutes on on a it was a Google Meet call with Barney where um, he, he, I shared my screen with him and he literally said, "Click on this, do this, blah blah blah," and he walked me through the process of opening the account. I mean, I don't know how that's going to be economically viable for Revolut to be investing that amount of staff time. Oh, and before you ask, he didn't know that I was a, a financial blogger at that stage. <laughs> so I, I think it's just a standard process. Anyway, Barney was fantastic. So thank you to him for helping me set this up. And the account is now open. I've transferred some money into it and um, it all looks brilliant. So, so far, so good. Uh, five stars for my personal experience with Revolut for a business banking account, which um, is free. I've gone for the free option for a small business. And um, now I saw something in the papers about they haven't got a banking license or something. Revolut. I think they're struggling to get a bit. But it raised money at some eye-watering valuation of 50, 32 billion or something. Schroeder's apparently has halved the value of it to 15 billion. They're a financial backer. So... I don't think it's a conventional bank, so I'll have to look into what regulatory uh, controls there are. But certainly from a customer point of view, so far, I think Revolut has really impressed me. And the uh, I like the idea they've got these disposable one-time use debit cards as well. So if you're doing a one-off transaction, you don't want to give it for, I don't know, for something large. You don't have to give out your bank details. You just you just order a, a single-use virtual debit card. What a great idea! Uh, it, it, there's really a lot of change coming through in the in the banking sector. I think isn't there for day-to-day -day banking? So it's very interesting. But so far so good. Big big uh, thumbs up for Revolut. I found them excellent, and a big thumbs down for Starling, who were hopeless. Anyway, oh, finally, Mellow Chiswick is uh, coming up on the 23rd and 24th of May. I hope you've all got your tickets and that I'll get to uh, share a beer with uh, lots of of readers and listeners. And, and uh, I'm really looking forward to that. It should be great. I, I, I'm normally, me and Graham are normally the last ones propping up the bar at about 11 o'clock at night. I'm going to have to get home earlier this year because... The Stockopedia subscribers who are not at Mellow still expect a, a vaguely coherent report the next day. So I won't be there for that long this year. But uh, I, I hope to see um, everyone who knows me there really on the Tuesday and Wednesday afternoons. And they've got some great speakers lined up. So really worth going and some really interesting companies as well. So I hope you'll support Mellow Chizik because... David was saying to me, you know, everyone wants everything online now, so it's very difficult to organise these physical uh, conferences. But it's where you make it's where you make friends. It's where you meet people and uh, put names to faces that you can subsequently uh, talk to online. I find so. I think it would be a terrible shame if we lose these in-person uh, investor shows. And there's, you know, David was saying it's been such a struggle this year. If it's not well supported, he may not be able to do them in future. So use it or lose it when it comes to uh, in-person investor shows, I think is my message. Okay, thanks for listening. And um, I will, uh, I'll speak to you again next weekend. Bye.